Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama. Through Bama by Distance, you can earn a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree with online coursework and affordable tuition. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Another year, another Patriots Super Bowl win. Super Bowl 53 found the eternally unlikable Titans of football matched up against the high-scoring Los Angeles Rams. But was it a high-scoring game? It was not. No, this year's game ended with the downright puny score of 13-3. In fact, no one had even scored a touchdown when Adam Levine and Maroon 5 came out to headline the halftime show. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're here Monday morning to recap the highs and lows of Super Bowl 53, so come right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's just you and me, Stephen Thompson. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm so excited to be talking about this game with you, even though not the most exciting game I've ever seen. No, it wasn't. I mean, the story of the NFL this year was offense. Uh, there was a game, I believe it was week 11, where the Rams, who were in the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs, who almost were in the Super Bowl, played each other, and the final score was Rams 54, Chiefs 51. Yeah. And most football fans uh, love offense and have been really excited about this kind of new wave of exciting, thrilling, high-scoring offense in the NFL. And then you get to the Super Bowl and the Rams, who are a team that like everyone has been trying to emulate. My own team, the Green Bay Packers, hired as their new head coach a guy basically because he had worked with Sean McVay, the coach mm-hmm. of the Rams. Mm-hmm. And then they just ran into the absolute buzzsaw of the Patriots' defense, which really seemed to solve the Rams' yeah. offense. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody appreciates and admires defense. I, I appreciate and admire defense. And yet in a football game, you don't really get a party full of people standing up and going, yeah! <laughs> Zone when, coverage really worked! When they stop somebody <laughs> from doing something, perhaps they should, perhaps mm-hmm. they can, and they will at the very end of the game. Right. But throughout the game, you don't get those peaks of excitement necessarily from defensive stops even if you could argue that you theoretically ought to. It really is an interesting football story if you get down to how the defense kind of solved this offense. And this was an interesting battle of young versus old. Sean McVay is 33 years old, the coach of the Rams. Bill Belichick, the coach of the, you know, Darth Vader, who's the coach of the Patriots, is 66. This is his uh, sixth Super Bowl win as a head coach. Mm -hmm. Um, He is unparalleled as a coach in the Super Bowl. The Patriots are now in new frontiers of record setting in terms of of, you know, in the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era, they have been to nine Super Bowls and won six of them. Yeah. You know, we often talk on this show about the culture around sports and sports teams. There was actually a narrative, though, this year that kind of tried to set the Patriots up as 
underdogs. Lucky underdogs. Lucky underdogs, even though they have these uh, five previous Super Bowl wins. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the game, they hand off the Vince Lombardi trophy to the New England Patriots, who then proceed to yell about the haters and how they were disrespected and how no one thought we could do it. And it's like, yeah, no one thought from the five previous times you did mm-hmm. it that you could do it a sixth time and a second yeah. in three years. And even if that's true, which, you know, as I understand it, there are definitely people who would argue I didn't watch a lot of the NFL this year, but that they didn't look as likely as they have in some years. But even if that's true, I don't think that narrative works so well on people who have been the dominant kind of bully of the playground for the last whatever. To the degree that the Patriots were underdogs, they are viewed as an aging and somewhat fading dynasty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their play was much more uneven over the course of the year. Tom Brady is 41 years old, which in in NFL years is ancient. Mm -hmm. And so there was a sense that their kind of grip on the NFL was was loosening. And so I can understand a certain amount of like, we're not dead yet. But we're not dead yet is different from like, Nobody believed in us. Well, and it's just good that finally Tom Brady caught a break. You know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, so the next thing that I that I want to talk to you about is the halftime show because yeah. when you, as a TV person or a culture person, watch the Super Bowl, one of your big focuses is always going to be the halftime show. Now, this year there were widespread reports, most unconfirmed, about the NFL having approached a lot of black artists mm-hmm. uh, for this Super Bowl in Atlanta, right. which is a you know very hot music town for hip-hop and, and for rap, and that they had approached a lot of black artists who, at least in part, had uh, declined on the basis of their disagreement with the NFL's treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Right. So we wound up with, or at least... And we wound up with (laughs) Maroon 5. And the funny thing to me was, I could have sworn Maroon 5 already did a Super Bowl (laughs) halftime show because they're such a Super Bowl halftime show kind of band. Right. And they were joined by Travis Scott Mm -hmm. and Big Boy. From Outkast. From Outkast, you know, which felt somewhat forced to, to me. But mostly it was Adam Levine. I mean, that that was most of the Super Bowl halftime show, no? It was. And Maroon 5 is is a lot of things. Like Maroon 5 is a very reliable hit maker over the course of many, many years. But Maroon 5 is not necessarily a band that a lot of people get incredibly excited about. Adam Levine is kind of an omnipresent figure because of the voice. They're in many ways a safe and middle of the road band. I have never felt, uh, I host a Super Bowl party, the Chicken Bowl. Uh, this was Chicken Bowl 23. Uh-huh. So I've watched a lot of Super Bowl halftime shows going right. back to with like- With a crowd. With, with a crowd. And I don't think I have ever felt so little enthusiasm and so little electricity in the room during a halftime show. As opposed to, for example... Prince or Beyonce. Beyonce, either the one that was Beyonce headlined or the one that was Beyonce takeover from Coldplay. You sort of felt, with that second one in particular, I remember, you sort of felt the entire house tip because (laughs) everybody stormed into the room. You know, people are scattered around, they're eating, they're doing different things, but everybody goes to the room where the halftime show is to see Beyonce. This time it was sort of like, oh, it's it's Maroon 5. It's kind of time to mill around. Yeah. It was almost the opposite as opposed to that kind of everybody wants to come and see the halftime show. Yeah, to the extent that there was a roar <laughs> when, they, when that show started, right. it was sort of, Ugh. Right. And I, I don't think you can get around the fact that when your Super Bowl is in Atlanta, right. if you wind up headlined by a non-Atlanta-based white pop band, something seems to be amiss if you're a music fan. And and you get the feel 
of what they lost or what they didn't get for whatever combination of reasons. The inclusion of Travis Scott and Big Boy was they were not particularly well incorporated into the set. It was a Maroon 5 set and then Travis Scott kind of had a feature and then Big Boy kind of came out and did The Way You Move Mm -hmm. and then they kind of went back to Adam Levine who at one point like peels off his shirt and is suddenly completely shirtless which then brings in leftover resentment about the treatment of Janet Jackson right. from like 15 years ago. Right. So I felt like there was just kind of a lot of bad will around yeah. this kind of flat and uninteresting performance. I mean, Maroon 5 has a lot of songs. Yeah. They're very catchy. I don't feel the need to see them performed in a Super Bowl halftime show. This felt, the whole performance felt very, very flat for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, the persona of Adam Levine Mm -hmm. was just, to me, just right for this halftime show. (laughs) You know, you're in this moment where the NFL is trying to be very ingratiating to its mass audience while also continuing to kind of navigate the fact that you're hearing more from players who want their position on what is going on in the world to be able to be communicated. And so you get Adam Levine, who gradually peels off layers of clothes until he gets down to, as you said, ripping off the, it must be said, very ugly tank top he's wearing. And gets down to this heavily tattooed upper half, right? right? Including a very corny tattoo right on his belly that just says California, California. <laughs> which just seems, I don't know, that's a very unimaginative tattoo to me. But, any, but the point being, I think this is less true now, but tattoos for a long time, particularly heavy amounts of tattoos, carried this implication of rebellion or <laughs> danger or look at me, I'm a heavily tattooed dude. You never know what I might get up to. But it's Adam Levine. You know what I mean? It's still he's still singing moves like Jagger, whereas you have a lot of artists whose music does have more elements of, you know, not toughness in the way I'm talking about, but more elements of being provocative and interesting and vibrant who are not there. Yes. And I think the provocative is a really interesting word, because if there is one thing that Maroon 5's music isn't, it's provocative. And that's the halftime show we got, which, you know, there, there is a legacy. There have certainly been flat kind of rote halftime shows where uh, where a legacy act comes out and performs their greatest hits. Right. Uh, I think you can't leave a conversation about the Super Bowl without talking about commercials because they have become... Because it's the law. Because it's the law and because they've become the other thing that is heavily promoted. I will say my favorite this year was the uh, 100th anniversary of the NFL ad that had like a million NFL players... Mm-hmm. Uh, going after a golden football at like a big reception kind of thing with everybody formally dressed. I thought that ad was pretty cute. Yeah. I mean, the commercials this year, first of all, I want to say that anyone who says to me, I only watch the Super Bowl for the commercials, that is the new I don't own a TV. Yeah. Don't do that. that. Just don't watch it. Also, also, Super Bowl commercials to me are not as eventful as they used to be because they're released ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And so you don't necessarily have this kind of unveiling of this new, shiny, expensive thing. Uh, This year, a lot... A lot of the commercials uh, were for Amazon-related products. Uh, you had your, you know, kind of star-studded. You got your Harrison Ford coming out, doing his thing. I didn't find the commercials particularly interesting, with with the exception of the Bud Light commercial, where they announce that their beer doesn't have corn syrup in it anymore. Um, my king, this corn syrup was just delivered. That's not ours. We don't brew Bud Light with corn syrup. Miller Light uses corn syrup. Let us take it to them at once. And so you wound up with uh, one behemoth, Bud Light, 
getting into a beef with another behemoth, the corn industry. Uh-huh. And the corn industry, a very, very powerful industry, yeah. is livid. They're frosted, They're, man. they're frosted they're about frosted it. frosted cornflakes. And I thought about it, you know... You have Bud Light over here. You have the corn lobby over here. And it was a perfect microcosm of a Super Bowl in which one team I didn't want to win was playing (laughs) against another team I didn't want to win. And at the end, I'm going to be unhappy. Yeah. I want to mention one other one, which is the Kia commercial that had a very long monologue from a kid explaining that he was from a small town. There are no stars in the sidewalk for us. No statues in our honor. We're just a small Georgia town of complete unknowns. It goes on and on until it gets to the fact that they manufacture Kia, sport utility vehicles. And the weird thing about that commercial to me was obviously they're playing into some of the same dynamic that led to the Paul Harvey commercial a few years ago where it was sort of God made a farmer. They're kind of going for that small Mm -hmm. town. But to me, it was so odd to see... Somebody say, well, we're a small town and nobody's ever heard of us, but what we really do well is what we contribute to industry and and capitalism. And I I understand, like, it's not that that's not something to be proud of, but I guarantee you that the people in that town are also interesting and human. (laughs) And it's not just we're worthwhile and interesting because we make Kia. Because we are cogs in an assembly line. (laughs) I mean, and it's not to put down the work that people do because, you know, people make cars. It's a skilled job. It's just that's not why you're an important and interesting small town to me. So that to me was an odd one. I think in general, in recent years, there have been, I think, a little bit more kind of social messaging in a lot of Super Bowl ads. That seemed dialed back to me. Everything kind of in this entire game, including in the halftime show, including in the commercials, everything felt flat and safe. And so you wound up with a product that was this year, pretty unsatisfying. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that given the the atmosphere around the NFL right now, they just wanted to get out of it with nothing particularly significant happening. And I think that's exactly what, what went down <laughs> on Sunday night. And that brings us to the end of our show. Come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. Let us know what you thought about the Super Bowl, the halftime show, the commercials, and of course, where you come down on beer versus corn. <laughs> We'll be back here on Friday for more of our writing and recommendations and links to what makes us happy every week. Please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. We will see you right back here on Friday. NPR Sports. NPR Sports. NPR Sports. Angie Thomas went from church secretary to best-selling author with her book, The Hate You Give. Dang, I just can't come out the house now and look any kind of way. Somebody's going to be like, Angie Thomas was in Kroger in her robe. What? I can't do that. She tells me what's in book number two. This week on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Vanguard. Vanguard was built around a radical idea that when you put people first, we all benefit. Together, Vanguard's 30 million investors are changing the way the world invests. Visit Vanguard.com or talk to your financial advisor.